Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in response to increasing governmental and societal incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. September is a month that presents many Lutherans with challenges as the school year starts. These challenges affect both students and faculty. The impact is felt in both religious and secular schools. One challenge that's been growing in recent years is the opposition to the biblical view of sexuality. The LCMS affirms its belief in the biblical truths regarding sexuality. One group is attacking religious institutions that adhere to biblical truth, and it's called Campus Pride. It's a tax-exempt organization dedicated to advancing the LBGTQ agenda on all the nation's campuses, especially those with religious affiliation. The organization recently published what it calls the shame list of the absolute worst campuses for LGBTQ youth in the nation. And our Concordia University is on that list. Campus Pride's website claims that the list uncovers what it calls religious-based bigotry. Among other things, Campus Pride urges companies not to hire any person who graduates from schools on its blacklist. This is just one example of pressure that people of faith are facing in the academy. But there's good news. People of faith have rights and legal protections and are using them to preserve their religious liberties. One ally in the struggle is the First Liberty Institute, the largest legal organization in the nation dedicated exclusively to protecting religious freedom for all Americans. First Liberty Senior Counsel Justin Butterfield is a guest on today's program and will discuss the legal aspects of the situation. Another guest is Daryl Jordan, a student and teaching assistant at Florida State University in Tallahassee. Daryl, a member of the LCMS, will speak about the challenges facing students. Free to be Faithful encourages our listing audience to ask questions. Our telephone number in the greater St. Louis area is 314-821-0850. Outside the St. Louis area in North America, the toll-free number is 800-730-2727. The program may also be contacted by email at publicsquare at kfuo.org. Welcome, gentlemen, to our program. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're with us here. Uh, Mr. Butterfield, I'd like to start with you. Uh, What are the legal challenges and what are the legal rights that Christians now face in schools? It's a broad range from what I understand, and religious schools are definitely not exempt from these challenges. You know, that, that's absolutely right. Um, on, in the public sphere, when dealing with public schools, uh, the Supreme Court has been clear that both students and teachers retain their constitutional protections to free speech and free exercise. So if you're a teacher or a student at a, at a public school in this country, whether that's you know, an elementary school, a high school, or a, a college, uh, you have religious liberty protections and you have, religious, uh, you have free speech protections. So those exist there so that if you're an employee of, of a public school, you are protected, and they cannot force you to violate your religious beliefs. Now, you mentioned that even private schools, Christian schools, are, are um, facing coming under increased attacks because of some of the things that we're seeing, and that's absolutely true. And uh, unfortunately, you mentioned the, uh, the shame list. 
That is actually a list of religious colleges that have sought a Title IX exemption, which is a request. Basically, it's a statement of, we hold certain religious beliefs, and we want to be exempt from some of the requirements of Title IX because of our religious beliefs. And they've taken all the schools that have requested a religious accommodation effectively, and they're trying to shame them, and they're trying to um, turn them into the bad guy just for wanting to protect their religious beliefs. How effective have they been? Um, you know, in some cases, they have been unfortunately very effective. Uh, the, the vast majority of Christian schools have, have been able to successfully receive their, their Title IX religious exemption. They've successfully been able to say, we hold these beliefs as part of our faith, and we're not willing to, to violate those religious beliefs. But there are schools that the government has said, um, they, they've led down years-long um, bureaucratic paths to try to get these religious protections. And, and uh, there's just been this public shaming campaign that you referenced to try to keep students from attending these schools. And it's unfortunate uh, to date that they have not been able to stop schools from receiving their religious protections, but it's definitely an area of attack that we're seeing. Also within the uh, public sphere, uh, now supposedly we have the constitutional rights. They don't stop at the schoolhouse door, and yet we have seen students and faculty members who have been punished for praying. Uh, the case of uh, Coach Kennedy comes to mind immediately. And how are these situations being approached, and how can these people think that they can get away with that? You know, again, it's an area that we see attacked all the time. And a lot of the problem in this area comes because many school officials just don't know what the law says. You're exactly right. The Supreme Court, uh, back in the 1960s, said that neither students nor teachers shed their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate. So it has long been recognized that teachers and students at public schools are fully protected. They have their free speech rights. They have their free religious exercise rights. The government cannot violate that, and yet over and over again, teachers are um, persecuted because of their faith. We represented Coach Kennedy, who was just quietly praying to himself at the 50-yard line after um, school football games, and he was terminated for that. We've represented a teacher who um, w was mentioned to a student walking into his classroom, the last will be first because the student was the last one in line, and the student asked the teacher, where did that come from? And the teacher said, you know, I don't really know, but he had heard that phrase just in, in culture, and so he, he Googled the phrase, the last shall be first, saw it came from the Bible, and he told the student, oh, it comes from the Bible, and the, teacher, and the student said, you know, I've, I've never read the Bible, could you show me that in the Bible? And the teacher said, yeah, sure, and so he handed the student a Bible after he'd, he'd gotten one, a book that was in the school library, and there is no prohibition on students reading the Bible. The next day, the teacher was called in and was told that he was fired because he handed a student a Bible after that student had asked him, you know, where does this common phrase come from? And we had to represent that student. And it's, it's unfortunate these things are happening, but the Supreme Court has been clear that teachers do have constitutional protections, that there are um, religious freedom rights and free speech rights, and so these things can't happen. It's, uh, unfortunately, there's just a lot of misinformation out there, though. And there's a lot of problems. I, I want to direct my next question to, uh, to Daryl Jordan. Uh, Daryl, from a student's perspective, I think there's a lot of challenges over and above the, uh, the religious challenges and the legal challenges. I remember when I went to college, way back in the Dark Ages, 
you know, I had been a church-going, regular Lutheran all the way through high school. The Walther League was my social club, everything. And I went away to college, and I was going to keep the faith, so to speak. Sure. Well, if, if there wasn't a temptation I didn't give in to in my freshman year, it was simply because I couldn't find it. So, <laughs> so the, what kind of support is available now that wasn't available to me, or at least I didn't avail myself of it. And also, I'd like to hear you talk a, a bit about the problems that you might be facing as a student or a teaching assistant at a public university. Well, one thing that uh, students and teachers both face alike is the vagueness of some of the non-discrimination statements that a lot of colleges and universities have. Uh, for example, at FSU, our non-discrimination statement says something like, Behaviors that may be considered offensive, demeaning, or degrading to persons or groups will not be tolerated. Uh, such language is, is so vague that, um, you know, there's a question that, well, what does count as offensive? What does count as uh, demeaning? And so that's a challenge that a lot of students and teachers both face because the language that's in these uh, non-discrimination statements are so open-ended that almost anything someone might say or do is going to be considered offensive uh, towards someone, and that's really problematic. Um, so that's one challenge that uh, a lot of students uh, I see face on campus, is just that anything they say um, can be taken out of context or um, can be shown uh, or believed to be uh, offensive, and that's, that's really troubling to me. It should be. I, I've even heard of cases where people have complained when somebody says, God bless you, after someone sneezes. Oh, yeah, that's just, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good example of what I'm talking about. I mean, so almost anything you could say on a, a, a public campus uh, that should be just um, an exercise of free speech can be considered um, against these non-discrimination statements, going against them, and can't be um, can be punished which is really just terrifying if you think about it. Well, a lot of the attacks, I think, that are going after uh, people of faith are based on these, quote, the offensive speech, or hate speech yes. is the term Correct. that they're using nowadays. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you've run into that a lot. Mr. Butterfield, what is the legal view of this, of, of the restriction of free speech on campuses? How far is this allowed to go? So um, it, it's an area that we've seen a lot of pushback in, and it really depends on how it's, it's written. Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, you were discussing just now is that a lot of times students don't know what it means. You know, it says something that may be denigrating, and they don't know what does that mean. What does the word denigrating mean? You know, is, is attending a church, is that an action that expresses... Um, denigration, and a lot of times the students don't know and the administration doesn't know. And because of that, because there's a lot of confusion, it often leads to litigation because we have to take these things to court to defend uh, students, to defend teachers who don't really know what the lines are. Now, thankfully, in the law we have a, a phrase called void for vagueness, which exactly is, as it sounds like means that anything that is so vague that you don't understand it is void. Um, but unfortunately, we're having, we're having to fight these issues because so many of these, these um, st speech codes effectively are unclear. And, of course, many of these speech codes go so far that they're just um, 
straight up unconstitutional, and you don't even have to reach that point. But but in a lot of these cases where where they're unclear, especially as they apply to employees, they're having to be litigated. Well, I'm seeing more and more cases where uh, people are are saying that religious beliefs are bigoted, that they are hateful, that they are discriminatory. And how can we as Christians respond to that? I mean, for one thing that I, I could see myself doing if I was on campus is I would file <laughs> some kind of a complaint against someone who said, because I'm a churchgoer, I'm bigoted. I would file a complaint against that. Is this one option that's open to us? How do we fight it? It, it, that's exactly right. Sometimes, you know, oftentimes a letter will be sufficient, and once the school's attorneys look at it, uh, they'll realize, oh, this is this is ridiculous what we did. We, we represented a case in Florida um, where a student was told by his professor that he had to write Jesus on a piece of paper and put it on the floor and stomp on it. And this student refused, and so the school suspended him. And First Liberty Institute was able to write a letter to the school. You know, once the school administration and, and the school's lawyers looked at it, they realized, oh, we'd better not be suspending students because just on a piece of paper and stomp on it. That probably violates their constitutional rights. Um, but there are a lot of cases where the school districts don't back down, and we actually do have to bring a lawsuit to protect students' rights or teachers' rights. And so that's it, unfortunate that that has to happen, but sometimes that's the only way to protect people's constitutional rights. Daryl, have you run into cases on campus where people will say, well, gee, you're one of those Bible people, therefore you were a bigot, you were a racist, something along those lines? Sure, sure. Yeah, almost every semester we have uh, various campus preachers come in from different denominations, and they'll uh, preach in the quote-unquote free speech zone. And, of course, a lot of students, um, when they hear this, uh, this preaching, they'll just kind of dismiss it as, oh, that's bigoted, that's hateful, that's et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of students get really upset at the fact that there are preachers uh, just exercising their, their right to free speech on campus, um, so much so that a lot of them will threaten to uh, call the campus police uh, for instance, uh, last semester, I believe, I was out uh, listening to one of these preachers speak, and they were talking about the issue of abortion. And uh, this particular campus preacher was uh, debating with a, a Catholic student, and the Catholic student had this position where they thought that, yes, abortion was morally wrong, it was uh, just a form of murder, but yet they also held that, oh, well, we shouldn't judge other people's actions, which is... Um, it, it's a kind of a weird view to have, right? So you think that, oh, well, abortion's murder, but we shouldn't judge other people if they commit murder. And this preacher said to him, well, you're spineless, or your position is spineless. And he immediately, this student got just really upset at that and took it as a kind of an insult to his character and threatened to call campus uh, security. And in fact, campus security came out. And luckily, um, that was the end of it. They didn't... Um, they didn't uh, dismiss the, the campus preacher or anything like that. But that's just one example of, of uh, students just um, not willing to uh, actually have um, a, a kind of a reasoned debate and just dismissing the, the Christian position on, you know, um, ethics and such as just bigoted. Um, and so, yeah, that's really, that's really problematic. I think a problem we're seeing, especially on campuses right now, is uh, where one side will say that if you disagree with me or you hold another other position, that is hate speech. And hate speech yeah, is correct. not covered by the First Amendment. I'm sure you've run into that one, Daryl. 
Yeah, so um, I'm a teaching assistant, as you mentioned, and I'm actually in the philosophy department. So this is something that we teach our students is um, when we teach ethics classes, we actually talk about free speech and we discuss the distinction between um, speech that's just merely offensive and speech that is harmful. Um, And so it's really hard to sometimes draw that line between what speech is, in fact, um, quote unquote, harmful speech and what speech is just merely offensive. And the problem is that if you don't draw that distinction, um, almost any kind of speech will be taken to be, oh, well, something that's just merely offensive is taken to be hate speech. And um, they'll say that, well, that's not protected by the Constitution. And so if you don't draw that distinction, which is really hard to draw, where's the line, right? Um, It almost a lot of you'll get these students and faculty as well that say, well, uh, since the Constitution doesn't protect against hate speech, we just can't have any kind of speech um, that is remotely offensive. And that's, yeah, that's scary. Mr. Butterfield, what is the legal position regarding alleged hate speech? My understanding of the First Amendment is that pretty much anything goes. Uh, Pretty much. So there can be restrictions on things like a person who's advocating violence or advocating um, breaking the law. Uh, the government can restrict speech in those instances, but they can't restrict it because of your viewpoint, because of your religious viewpoint, uh, no matter how offensive the listener uh, finds that to be. You know, one of the problems is we, we've lost as a society what it means to have a diverse civilization, that people can have disagreements, and it doesn't have to mean that one of them is legally wrong for holding that position. And so so much of what we're seeing um, is a result of, of what traditionally would have just been understood to be people holding different views, people holding a diversity of views, um, now being subject to basically thought crime. And it, it's unfortunate that, that so many people have such a, a low view of the Constitution, what it means to have free speech, but that's what we're seeing over and over again. Um, people who are just misinformed about what the Constitution says, and they don't realize that Yes, it's, it's fine to have uh, very strong disagreements about things, and that is all protected by the First Amendment. I'm reading an article uh, that was published in American Conservative called We Have Been Warned, and the author raises a number of questions here that I think are very, very interesting regarding this particular issue. Questions are, are Christians who hold to historical position on sexual ethics engaging in invidious discrimination? Are Christians who hold to the historic position on sexual ethics holding to the same type of beliefs and engaging in the same types of action as avowed racists? Can there be actual disagreement on the issue that doesn't impute the other side's worst possible motives? And can there be a mutual respect that allows for different people to reach different conclusions about the purposes of human embodiment? Good questions, and I'm not sure there's answers to it. Justin, uh, uh, could you could you give us your view on that? Yeah, so like I was just saying, I, I think that in a lot of ways, as a society, we have lost um, what it means to have a, a diverse um, diverse viewpoints, to have a diverse society, and everything that that is uh, different from your view is is wrong, and not just a wrong view, but those people who hold that view are bad people, and. We, we've lost what it means to, to hold the different viewpoints, which is unfortunately, you know, it's something that the founders understood. It's why the First Amendment existed. 
and there were there have been abuses uh, of this for for hundreds of years. Um, you know, one of the things that led to the First Amendment was in the, in the colonies uh, there were two Baptist preachers who were arrested for teaching the traditional Baptist faith. And the founders said, you know, this is not what we want in our society. Even if you disagree with them so much that you think they should be in jail, um, rights of conscience are important. They're important to a self-governing people, and those things should be protected no matter how much we disagree with them. And so that's what the First Amendment was designed to protect, and unfortunately we're losing that. Daryl, do you have a reaction to any of those questions? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I think uh, free speech is so important is, well, to put it bluntly, is we're, infalli- we're not infallible creatures. And so the current kind of societal norms might not be the societal norms that are, in fact, uh, reflective of what is actually true. And so if you think that, um, say, like, give a historical example. So there was a time when... Uh, being against slavery was a minority view. And if we weren't able to have that discussion, if the, the, the minority view was just silenced, then who knows, we could still have slavery, we could have slavery a lot longer. And so free speech is so important that we have a diversity of views in order to kind of search out what in fact is true, what norms as a society we should have and should be advocating for. And so if you just censor minority views, then, well, it just becomes so difficult to really know what kind of norms our society should hold. Daryl, have you been seeing on campus this phenomenon where uh, there is the demonization of, of a side because they hold traditional views? I know I've read about it in places, I'm, and frankly, I've been attacked several times online for it. Uh, have you observed it in, on your campus where they try to say, well, you're a hater, therefore I don't have to talk to you, I don't have to consider your point of view? Yeah, sure, and that's, that's exactly the problem, is when, when you do uh, demonize kind of um, the religious view, let's say, that doesn't allow for genuine dialogue. It doesn't allow for a search for truth. It doesn't allow for um, understanding the other person's uh, viewpoints, what their arguments are. And this is why free speech is so important, again, so we can have uh, that dialectic back and forth, so we can try to, um, as a society, um, see what is right. Um, When you just dismiss someone's view as bigoted or hateful or uh, uh, demonizing, then, um, yeah, that shuts down the conversation. And and we do see that on campus. I do see that on campus quite often. I think one of the differences between the believers and the non-believers in this particular issue is while we disagree strongly with the positions held by many of them, for example, on the abortion issue, we don't believe these people are beyond redemption. We believe that we can reach them and we can talk to them. We can't force them to do anything, but we're not going to try to silence them. We want to talk to them. Their side just it seems to be that, well, you don't have anything to say, period. You don't have that right. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I definitely see that. And um, you bring up a good point. It's, it does seem like, um, at least from my perspective, um, a lot of the issues that we want to bring up and that we want to uh, defend, such as the right to life or traditional sexual morality, um, that other people really, the people that hold opposing opposing views, really don't want to have that conversation. Uh, they just want to shut down the conversation, and um, that's that's problematic. 
Uh, Mr. Butterfield, I want to address an issue that your organization works with is that you publish a number of um, kits, if you will, on what are the rights of students and what are the obligations. I'm looking at one right now about 25 facts about religious liberty at school. Can you expand a little bit about how people can access this and find out what their rights are regarding this? Absolutely. So if you go to firstliberty.org, you can go to our resources tab, and you can get um, information for students, information for teachers, that just gives a very brief summary of um, what the law is. You can also reach out to one of our attorneys. So we represent all of our clients completely pro bono, and if you have a situation that you think, um, you know, you, you've been punished for simply uh, expressing your religious belief, uh, let us know about it. Um, you can reach out to us through our website, and we'd love to talk with you about that. What about on campus, uh, Daryl? Uh, do you have advice for students there who are running into problems? Is there a campus organization that can help? Um, not really that I know of. I haven't came across um, any kind of campus organization that can help in the kind of ways that uh, was, were described. Um, yeah, so not really sure about that. Hmm. There may, they may be a, um, an opportunity there for organization. Of them, but... Beg your pardon? I might just not be aware of them. They, they yeah. may be on campus, but... Well, perhaps this is one of the things where you can talk to some of the preachers who are um, visiting on this campus, visiting on the students, and sure. seeing what, what they have to offer as well. Sure. Uh, we're coming into our final minutes here, so uh, I'd like uh, to ask Mr. Butterfield if you could sum up the situation in about a minute or less, then I'll switch it over to uh, Daryl. Sure. So we, we've seen a lot of attacks on students, on teachers, on schools, um, for trying to hold on to their their faith, for just simply standing up for what they believe. And it's an area where there are are a lot of legal protections, even though um, attacks are increasing. uh, We can defend students, we can defend teachers, we can defend schools who are attacked for sticking to their faith, for standing up for what they believe in. And so it's an area that's getting difficult to fight in, but the war is not lost. Um, We win case after case, and First Liberty Institute is here to stand up for religious rights for all. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, Daryl, if you would have your closing comment. Well, one thing that um, has came apparent to me, uh, being both uh, a teacher and a student, is just kind of the atmosphere of um, students' perception of uh, let's say morality in general. There's there's really this air of um, just moral relativism on on campuses, at least um, at FSU, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of other campuses, such that um, you know when you claim to to have a truth, when you claim to say that abortion is morally wrong or that the traditional uh, sexual morality view is correct, that well. That can't be the case because uh, there is no truth in morality, right? This is a lot. This is a perspective that a lot of students have, and so again, this is just one way to shut down the conversation. Is if you think that, oh, well, you hold a view, but that's just your opinion. I have a different opinion, and uh, because of that, we shouldn't judge each other's opinions. And that's that's one thing that I see um, and I hear from a lot of students. Gerald Jordan and uh, Justin Butterfield, I want to thank you very much for appearing on the program. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Wednesday every every month at 2.30 p.m. and is rebroadcast the following Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. 
It's also available for download on our website at kfuo.org. Today's guests were Justin Butterfield of First Liberty Institute and Daryl Jordan of Florida State University. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings.